Well, it is good to be with you today. I've been praying for you that this word would be a timely word for you. And I believe it is a timely word for our church, especially at the end of the first service. Uh, God kind of wrapped it all together, uh, added some things that I didn't, didn't uh, see coming. And so it just really made it for a dynamic message today. Uh, but we're going to have some fun as we start this, this service. And so I've entitled the message today uh, called Toast. And so we're going to make some toast this morning. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Cody uh, to step up to our kitchen. And we're going to make some toast this morning. And so if you are hungry, you came uh, to the right service today. You might just get some, some toast. Uh, as you think about this, uh, in the bag, or not in the bag anymore, but on the napkins, uh, what, what do you have? In the, in the bag, we have bread, right? But you put the bread into the toaster, and it doesn't come up just bread. It comes out toast, right? And the point of the, this silly title, I guess, the point of this is that as we put our life in God's hands, God makes us new. We don't look the same as we did before. We don't act the same as we did before. God begins to make us new because God is making all things New. And I want to tell you that God uses often the principle that we're going to talk about today called multiplication. God uses multiplication to make us new. God is wanting to make you new. He's wanting you to understand this principle of multiplication. And we're in our study in the Gospel of Mark, and we're, we're continuing on. We've gotten to the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, where God takes the, the, the two fish, the two miniature fish, and the two miniature loaves of bread, the small loaves of bread, and he multiplies them to feed over 5,000 men. God uses the miracle of multiplication. But it's not just about the, the miracle. It's about what God wants to do in our heart and our life. That God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, or imagine. God is wanting us to get this picture of multiplication this morning. Now, I remember in elementary school uh, learning about addition. How many remember? First grade? addition. And so my first grade teacher was Mrs. Trofton. And uh, I remember her well. She was a very kind teacher, one of my favorite teachers. And she would teach us the principle of addition. And they would do those math problems where uh, you had the one page with like 50 math problems you had to get done in a minute with the addition problems. And I could do it. I was winning. I was winning at first grade and I was happy. I, if you don't know my personality, I like to win. I, I like to be successful. And I was winning. I was getting all my math problems done in a minute and I was getting them all right. I was getting an A in math and I loved addition because addition loved me. <laughs> I loved it. I was being successful. And then all of a sudden, Mrs. not Mrs. Trotten, the next grade up, I think, I don't know her name because I, she talked about multiplication. I'm like, I like addition. I don't want multi. I just like addition. I can win at addition, but I don't understand this multiplication thing you're talking about. I like a plus sign. It's straight. The, the, the time sign is an X. Like, what is, what is that? And so I did not like multiplication until I learned how to do multiplication. And I think in our walk with God, we like addition. We're, we're here in church for a reason. Like, we're supposed to get eight inches of snow day, and we're, we're here praising the Lord, right? Because, because we love God, and we, we like addition. We like coming to church because we're adding value. We're, we're, we're adding information. We're adding things. We, we want to learn about the Word of God, adding worship. We, we like addition. But I think God sometimes is wanting us to understand multiplication. It's not that addition is bad. It's not that it's wrong, but there's more. God's wanting to expand our thinking. He's wanting to open our eyes to this principle today 
of multiplication. And so what I really want you to think this morning is that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, or even imagine because God uses multiplication. I mean, God's thoughts are always greater than our thoughts and, and better than our thoughts. But one of the reasons why is because God's always thinking multiplication. We sometimes get stuck in addition. And we, God wants to grow us. He wants us to come into alignment with him. Our thoughts are never going to be perfectly God's thoughts. But God wants us to learn from him, to learn from his ways, to, to un- start understanding this principle of multiplication. So as we grow in this, uh, we're going to be diving into the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 6 and starting in verse 30. If you want to turn your text Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Remember last week, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to minister, that we were going to make our mark because God has made his mark on us. And so in this text, the disciples are returning from their their ministry trip, and they're sharing all the exciting things that God has done in in their life. If you notice, there's a text about John the Baptist in between last week's text and this text. We covered that in Christmas, so we're going to skip by that today. And we're going to dive in uh, to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Let's go ahead and read that now. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, that's important, he said to them, uh, Come with me by ourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. They found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people to sit down in groups of the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Lord, we pray over the reading of your word today. God, we pray that we'd be amazed by it. We pray that this miracle wouldn't just sink past us. God, but we would grasp it this morning. And we pray, God, you'd open our eyes up to this miracle of multiplication this morning, God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Church, may we never stop being amazed at the Word of God. You know, we can get comfortable with some of these texts. We've heard them before. But may we never stop being amazed by it. That our God is able to take two small fish and five loaves and multiply it to feed over 5,000. But as we start to break this text down, as we start to dive into the meaning of this text, I want to start by asking you the same question we asked of the text last week. That is, what does this text tell us about God? Well, if we just take this, this text, this pericope, as you would call it, this one text about the feeding of the 5,000, what does this text tell us about God? What characteristic, what attribute, what is God wanting us to see about him in this text? And we know that Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
That if we want to know what the God the Father is like, all we have to do is look at what Jesus is like. And so what does this text tell us about Jesus? Because what it tells about Jesus is going to tell us about the Father. And we see in verse 34 here, that it reads that Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, and he was moved with compassion because the people in the crowd were like sheep without a shepherd. This text tells Jesus was moved with compassion. And if Jesus was moved with compassion, it equals that God the Father was moved with compassion. Our, our God is a God who's, who's often moved with compassion. And compassion isn't an isolated thing. Compassion leads us to action. When we feel compassionate, it leads us to act on that compassion. You know, the famous, most famous verse in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world. Because God was moved with compassion, because he loved the world, he sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This text reminds us of this amazing characteristic of God, that he's moved with compassion. We know in this text that God was moved with compassion, but still we wonder why. Why was God moved with so much compassion? There's a lot of details in this text, which is always good, and it tells us that there were 5,000 men there in that crowd. That, that detail is important for two reasons. One, 5,000 men in particular represented a Roman legion. 5,000 men represented a Roman legion. And we'll get to that, why that's important later on in our text today. But for right now, we need to know 5,000 men, which there, we know that there was women and children as well. And biblical scholars estimate that there were 20,000 people there that day. Over 20,000 people there that day. That's a lot of people. Especially for Podunk, Galilee, right? In the middle of nowhere. In fact, the text tells Jesus was trying to get to a quiet place. A place where there wasn't 20,000 people. A place where there, there, there was nobody. They wanted to get to a place where it was just Jesus and his disciples. But yet there's 20,000 people there. And even bigger than this, if we look at all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the written gospels that we have. This is the, if there's actually 20,000 people there, this is the largest crowd Jesus has ever talked to that's recorded for us in the four gospels. 20,000 people is the largest crowd, even bigger than any other, the Sermon on the Mount, any other time. This is the largest crowd. All gathered there that day and for Jesus to talk to. But it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because these 20,000 people were like 20,000 sheep without a shepherd. And how, how many like humor today? How many like humor? I, I like humor. It's okay to raise your hand. We can be honest in church. We like humor. Yes. And I thought, this is going to be an amazing sermon. I'm going to find some YouTube video about a sheep without a shepherd. And it's going to be hilarious because sheep are so dumb, right? They're the dumbest animal that God created. We all know this. But what does God compare us to? Sheep. The dumbest animal he created, he compares us to. And it tells us we're a lot like sheep. And I thought, there's going to be some hilarious videos about a sheep without a shepherd. What I found was not hilarious at all. It wasn't hilarious at all. And what I found actually, and let me read, let me read just a, a direct quote for you. Tim, Tim Chalice says about sheep, left to themselves, sheep will not and cannot last very long. This, we're not talking about a ram in the desert. We're talking about sheep as a flock of sheep that we're all comfortable with. He says they, they will not last very long. Just about any other domesticated animal can return to the wild and stand a fighting chance. All your pets, you get to return to the wild and they would stand a fighting chance, but not sheep. 
He says, put sheep in the wild and you'll, you've just given nature a snack. There's 20,000 people. Jesus says, are like sheep without a shepherd. They're not going to last very long. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what that tells me is something very profound. That, that, that 20,000 people, they didn't just need a little encouragement. They just needed to say, hey, get back in the synagogue and, and pay attention to the, to the Pharisees. They didn't just need a little push. They didn't need to even need a kick in the butt. They needed a shepherd. They needed Jesus. He is the good shepherd. That's the second thing this text tells us about God, is that God is the good shepherd. And these 20,000 people, they needed a shepherd. They needed Jesus. And God had compassion on them. You think about Jesus wanted to get away. How many have been on a missions trip before? Either overseas or, or, or even just in America? How many volunteered on our food bank when we had our food bank on Monday, the first Monday of the month? Okay, many, many more, okay. When you're on a missions trip or when you donated your time and effort to the, to the food bank on Monday, what happened at the end of that time? Were, were you not exhausted? Uh, when, I, when we had the food bank, I was the most tired day I, I was was my day off on Mondays when we did the food bank. And I just came home exhausted and hungry because we just ministered all day. And so these disciples have just been sent out, and they are tired. They are exhausted. If you've been on the mission trip, you know this, because when you get home at night from a mission trip, they put you to work. It's not just like praying for people. It's, it's ministry. It's exhausting. And the disciple, Jesus knows and says, you guys need rest. Let's go to a quiet place so you can get some rest. And they go to a quiet place, and there's 20,000 people there. They couldn't rest with 20,000 people there. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, crowd, 20,000 people. You know, I, I know you need me. I know you're like sheep without a shepherd, but my disciples and I, we're, we're kind of tired. Uh, come back next week, and we'll, we'll minister to you. Or come back, just give us tonight, and you sleep in your tents, and come back tomorrow, and then I'll, I'll, I'll open up the word of God. You know, he has compassion on the people, and God has compassion on us today. I mean, there's a lot of people in our nation that are like sheep without a shepherd. That without Jesus stepping into their life, they're not going to make it very long. That without us, without Jesus in our life, we're not going to make it. God has compassion on us this morning. He's moved with compassion. He is the good shepherd. And God begins to open up the word of God to them. I want to tell you today, as God, the good shepherd, he cares about the spiritual condition of your heart. That God cares about the spiritual condition of your heart. And when the enemy comes at you like a flood, when the lies and the deception of the enemy comes at you like a flood, God cares about the spiritual condition of your heart. And he will open up your eyes. He'll put opportunities in front of you. He will get, try to get your attention whatever way possible. He will open up your eyes to the truth of the word of God. He will use people. He'll use circumstances. He'll use the word. He'll use whatever it takes to open up your eyes because God has moved with compassion. God desires that all should come to repentance and that none should perish. God is continually moved because he wants us to see this truth because the spiritual condition of our hearts matters to God. David said this, he understands this, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because God is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures where there's a lot of food. He leaves me beside still waters where I can actually drink. It's not rushing by. It's not stagnant and dangerous. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they come for me. They take out the enemy. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely in goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is the good shepherd. All these things apply to us in one way or the other. God cares for us. He cares for you. We don't know what Jesus was teaching. The text doesn't open up what exactly Jesus was teaching the crowd that day. But we know that God makes all things new. And he often uses this principle of multiplication. He wants to multiply what we know. He wants to multiply what we, what we think and the truth that we have. He cares about the spiritual condition of your life. It may not feel like God is working in your life, but I want to tell you God is working in your life. God uses all things for the good of those who love him. God is working in your life. So one, God cares about the spiritual condition of your heart. But secondly, this text tells us that God cares about the physical condition of your life. God didn't just teach them and open up the word to them and, and, and ignore that they're hungry. He, he didn't just, just give them all the spiritual truth and ignore the fact that they hadn't eaten all day. He, he opened up the word to them, but yet he fed the 5,000 men, 20,000 people that day. He, he cared about the physical condition that they were in that day. And it tells us, this text tells us about God, that God cares about the physical condition of your life. God cares about the circumstances that you're facing. He cares about your physical needs just as much as he cares about your spiritual needs. He cares about both equally. It's not one or the other. The enemy wants to think, well, you just, God just cares about the spiritual. Or God just cares about the physical. No, God cares about both. God is big enough to do both. And the enemy wants to think, no, it's one or the other. But God is saying, I want to multiply your understanding today. God cares about both. 100% both. God cares about your physical needs and your spiritual needs. And God is able to multiply two fish and five breads and make feed multitudes, right? God is able to do more than we ever ask, think, or imagine. When Jesus teaches the people how to pray, when he teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Why would God say, give us there daily, if he didn't care about your physical need, right? And we can say he's being metaphoric. He's, he's talking about the, the living bread, the, the, the living word. But, but is it, isn't it both? Isn't it God cares about your spiritual, and he's going to give you your daily bread spiritually, but also he cares about your physical needs? He says, ask the Father, trust in the Father, pray. That's why I pray for our meals, because we're saying, God, I know that you provided this for us. God cares about both, and the enemy wants to lie to us and say he only cares about one. No, it's both. God is the good shepherd. Church, when we get to the end of this life, we're going to see just how clearly, how deeply invested God is to every area of our life. And we're going to be amazed at how much God has been involved in our life. So there's a lot of layers to this text. It seems so simple, but there's a lot of layers to this. There's the spiritual need. God was opening up their eyes to the truth. There's the physical need. God was, God was providing for them miraculously. But ultimately, this passage is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Think about this perspective from the terms of the disciples that day. Jesus is teaching his disciples not just to see the world through the lens of addition and subtraction, but to understand God uses multiplication. God uses multiplication. I love this detail in the text that we first read back in the first verse here. He said, they had not had a chance to eat. The disciples... Before they even rode across the lake to a quiet place, they had not had a chance to eat. And we forget that detail in this text. Because there's 20,000 people that Jesus is ministering to, and it's getting late, it's getting dark, and they hadn't eaten all day. I don't think the disciples are thinking about the 20,000 people. I think they're thinking about their own growling stomachs. They're saying, Jesus, we need to wrap this up because we are hungry. I know you might not care about us, 
because we're your disciples. We're going to follow you anywhere. But I know you care about them. And so if we can get you to feed them, then we're going to get fed as, as well. So you need to send these guys off so we can go to Chick-fil-A and get some Jesus chicken. We, 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 need to, we need to go to the surrounding towns and at least get some McDonald's, Jesus. We, could, we just need something to fill our bellies. It's time to wrap this up, God. You've opened up the scriptures. It's late. It's time to go to sleep. It's time to get our late night snack. It's time. To, we need, we're hungry. We need to wrap this up, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, I care about the crowd. I care about you. But why don't you give them something to eat? And we think addition, we're like, God, we need to add some, some Chick-fil-A to, to, to our stomachs. And God is thinking multiplication. You need to feed them. What do, what do you have? What, what do we have today? How many, how many loaves do we got? How, how, what, what can we scavenge around? What, what, what do we have today? And they find that the five, as Mark said, miniature loaves. We're talking about this text this morning. It's, it doesn't just say loaves. It says in other texts, miniature loaves. Two small fish. Two, two, two things that wouldn't even fit big, big John. Like this is one meal. Big John can eat this, but it's not going to feed 20,000 people. You think about this text that, you think about the order that it gives it, gives it to us in. That God took the two small loaves. You know, when God turned the water into wine, it says instantly that the water was turned into wine. But this miracle was, was a little bit different. It's as he broke the bread, right? As he broke the bread, it kept multiplying. You think one little toast here, how, how are we going to, all the 50 or so people in the room, how are we all going to share this one little piece of toast, right? But God just kept breaking the bread and it kept multiplying and multiplying over and over again and over and over again. It just kept multiplying. And it's like one after the other, people started to see that there's no bread trucks. There's no food trucks in the back that the disciples are getting from. That Jesus is doing this miracle right in front of them. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the provider. He, he's the bread of life. He, he's ev Jesus is everything, right? They're starting to see this time and time again. That God is breaking the bread, multiplying it right in front of their eyes. And the, the disciples at the end of the day pick up 12 basketfuls full of fish. They got doggy bags. That God is able to do more than what we ask, think, or imagine. The disciples were just asking for a break, but God does the miraculous through multiplication, and they take home 12 big, ginormous bags to remind them that God is able to do more than what we ask, think, or imagine. We think addition, but God is thinking multiplication. He wants us to come into alignment with what he's doing in our world today. He said it would take eight months' wages to feed 20,000 people one meal. There's no way this is going to happen, but Jesus makes it happen. Get the people in 50 and hundreds. It's dinner time, and God does the miracle time and time again. And everyone is satisfied. They don't just get a little crumb. It's an all-you-can-eat fish dinner. And it's the best fish dinner I'm sure that has ever been served in this world, right? It's all you can eat. It's not just have a little. It's, it's, they were all satisfied as much as they wanted. And the disciples took home 12 basketfuls to remind them that God is able to do more. What is Jesus teaching his disciples here? That there's more. What is Jesus teaching us today? That there's more, church. We get satisfied for the little crumbs, but God is wanting us to say, to understand that there's more this morning, that there's more in 2022. 2022 is not going to be like 2021, that there's more this morning. It's not going to be like 1988 or, or 1978 or 1960. There's more this morning in 2022. God is wanting to do more. He's wanting to open our eyes. There are big things ahead for the church. The church wins, guys. At the end of the book, God is victorious. He's not defeated. He's still alive. He's still on the throne in 2022, and God is wanting to open our eyes that there is more church we're not satisfied with the crumbs we want to be fully spiritually satisfied that God has more for you this morning 
is more for you in this year. We need to open our eyes to this miracle of multiplication. God is wanting to open our eyes this morning to see that Jesus, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. That's what this miracle is about for the disciples, for the crowd. If you have Jesus in your life, you have everything you need. This is a radical way of living, church. It's one thing to check the box. Yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. He created everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything belongs to him. Yeah, I checked that box. It's a whole other way to live that if you have Jesus, you have everything. Because the world says you need to wear the right brands of clothing. The world says you need to have the right kind of house. The world says your kids need to act this way. The world says you need to do this. And you need to be in this. And you need to be all, but God is saying, if you have me, you have everything. He says the world runs after all these things, and they worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear. But God says if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things will be given to you as well. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. And God invites us to learn the spiritual principle of multiplication, that God is wanting us to understand he's able to do far and above all we ask, think, or even imagine. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we look at this word, I shared this on Wednesday night, that we look at the world and secularism is on the rise, sin is on the rise. The number one financial business in our world today by far, by a large margin, is human trafficking. And we live in this world and we're like, it's only a matter of time until secularism just completely takes over everything. And we, we get this defeatist mindset. We forget that God is able to do something miraculous with just the two small fish and five loaves of bread. That God is not dead. He's not defeated. That God is victorious. At the end of the book, we win. We, we come out on top, church. Last time I read the Bible, the gates of hell do not prevail. That the church prevails. In the end, the church wins. And there's a radical revival. There's, there's a massive revival at the end, right? We know this is a falling away. And then there's a, a coming back. That the church wins. That God is victorious. God does the miracle of multiplication. Because he has compassion on the world. He looks at the world and he sees sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on people. This is our God that we serve. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God is the good shepherd. And God does the miracle of multiplication through the lens of the disciples. So we looked at it from God's perspective. We looked at the disciples' perspective. But let's now look at the crowd's perspective as we wrap this up. Let's look at this text from the crowd's perspective. The apostle John, when sharing the same account, kind of opens up about the crowd a little bit more and they get so close. The crowd recognizes that Jesus, this miracle isn't about the fish and the loaves. It's about Jesus. They recognize that. But then they take it like a hard right. It's like they were so close, but then they swerved and they missed the main point. They saw, they related to Moses in the wilderness that Moses, through the Lord's power, fed the Israelites manna from heaven. And they see that Moses in this time frame, that the context of Moses doing this was God was exiting Israel out of Egypt. And they look at their, their circumstances, their, their physical need, that they needed exodus out, out of Roman domination, over, over, out of Roman governance over their, their nation. And they, they think if, if Moses gave the Israelites bread and exited them out of Egypt, then Jesus is giving us bread and, so he can exit us out of Roman authority. And so we, we got, we're going to make him king today. And if we have 5,000 men right here today, that represents the Roman legion out in the middle of nowhere where no one's supposed to be. If God, if Jesus, Jesus is king and he can gather a crowd when he's not even trying to, 
to get 5,000 men in Roman legion, how much more will we get if we start marching towards Jerusalem? Two Roman legions, three Roman legions, four Roman legions, five Roman legions. We, they, we can do this. And they miss it. Because they're trying to accomplish their agenda instead of trying to accomplish God's agenda. And they miss it because they're, they're all about their physical need. And they miss the, the fact that Jesus is pointing us to a better kingdom. It's not the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of heaven. That God's wanting to open the eyes of the people that day. I've been really studying about our culture lately and just trying to exegete our, our world to, to see what God is calling us to do, how we can reach this world better. Look at the history of America. And 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, the, the great American idol, you would say, would, would be the mighty dollar. When I was growing up in school, they would give us these tests uh, about uh, try, trying to figure out what you wanted to be in life. And it was all about dollars, like what, what job paid the most money, right? That they encouraged us to be doctors and, and lawyers. And they, they wouldn't say it straight up, but they, they, they were encouraging us, get the most money out of life. Get the American dollar, the American dream is what, what this life is all about. And there was an idol that we, we'd work overtime and overtime because over, we were trying to win the American dollar, but it's changed recently. The dollar still has power over us. The dollar still is, is, is a lure, a temptation, but it's not the main one anymore. The main lure is, is pleasure. And it kind of came together for me a little bit on Friday. I, was, I had a meeting at Highway Tabernacle in Austin Town, and I, I was done with my fast from the week, and I was having, wanting some sugary beverages. And one of my favorite places to go to get a sugary beverages is McDonald's. They have these amazing uh, caramel uh, iced coffees, and Dunkin' is probably better. I, I would recommend that it is probably better, but McDonald's sells them for $1.50, and Dunkin' sells them for 6 bucks. <laughs> Dunkin', you have to work a whole day just to get one drink. <laughs> but McDonald's has $1.50, and it's sugar, nice sugary beverage, and I was, I was drinking my, my caramel iced coffee, and on the, the cup it said, enjoy every sip. Take pleasure out of every sip is how I read it. That we're so dominated by pleasure. We're so, our worldview today, if we don't realize it today, it's, it's so dictated by pleasure. When we make decisions, what, what, how can I get the most pleasure? If my marriage isn't giving me pleasure more, then let's go get another marriage, right? If, I, if my job isn't giving me pleasure, let's go get another job. We're so, we're so, our decisions, whether we realize it, it's so dictated by, by pleasure. And God's saying it's not about pleasure, it's about your potential in Jesus. That this whole thing points to you and Jesus. I want to put an equation up on here on the screen. It says you times Jesus equals what? Now here's what I mean by that. This came to me at the end of first service today. Because we're so dictated by pleasure, like Jesus, I need some more bread, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, give me some more bread. Let me multiply this bread, Jesus. It is good. Multiplier's bread, God. Fill me up, God. I'm, I'm getting empty. Fill me up. Fill me up, God. I need more. I need more, God. Fill me up, God. I want more. I, I have my life. I'm going to keep filling up and filling up and filling up. You can't talk anymore. <laughs> Instead of what God wants us to do, is he wants to take us and he wants to break us like he broke that bread. And he wants to start multiplying our life. How many people can we touch through our missions program? 
How many people can we touch in this school today? Because God wants to multiply us in the world. And we need to get past the idea of addition. Oh, sorry, Daryl. <laughs> he wants to start thinking about multiplication. But we don't want to be broken. We just want to be added to. And we're so consumed with our pleasure, with our comfort, with just adding a little bit of Jesus to our life. We never get consumed. We never have to start to have compassion on the world around us. That we'd be willing to be broken in Jesus' hand. That we'd be willing to be like that small fish that may seem insignificant, but in the hands of Jesus can feed 20,000 plus. We say, what can we do to this world of secularism? Well, what do you have? You have you times Jesus equals something amazing. I don't know what that is for you because every, every equation is going to be different because you are different. Every, God's made us all different. He's given us unique personalities and, and traits and ministry uh, capabilities. But God wants you to be used in his hand, not just to consume, consume, consume. God wants you to be broken. This whole text, if we look at it, we, we, in the English language, we put chapters and, and verses and, and subheadings. And they help us tremendously to, to find out where we're at. But they weren't there in the original. This whole text is about the disciples being sent out. Making their mark on the world, just like we talked about last week. It's in the context of that. This God is wanting to multiply us over and over again. This text is about Jesus and this ministry of multiplication. Yes, it's about the bread. Yes, it's about God teaching the people to have compassion on them. And yes, it's about the disciples being sent out in the world. It's all, it's all these layers mixed into one. But it all comes back to Jesus having power to break us and to multiply us and to send us out to reach this world for Christ.